Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm John the President, along with me is... Braxton Hunter. Braxty. Braxty Poo, right? According to Shannon Q. Man, I... Start the show with... Before the show starts. I'm already blown away. Yeah. Completely blown away. By Benjamin and Jason. Yes. First of all, let me get this right. I, I got it. I... Thank you so much. You don't know what it means. We were just talking before the show about like we got a new computer for this. These mics are like 400 bucks a piece. Uh, there's all kinds of other gear that we have to use. And that we Mac computer is expensive yeah. and it's so awesome. I may even convert to Mac. And so, you know, we're talking about the lighting rig and all that stuff. And, and you just don't know. You just don't realize how contributions help and and we would do the show anyway and so i'm not trying to you know i'm not begging for more money but i'm just so grateful for people that i'm shocked anybody listens to us and i'm definitely shocked anybody uh supports what we're doing yeah but um thank you thank you so much jason that uh is unbelievable and thank you benjamin unbelievable i'm getting there so uh yeah. I, I just can't say enough about that and then uh Benjamin Handelman, thank you so much. He says, consistently under 200 pounds now, thanks to Theology Geek Fitness. Yes. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> but I've there, lost man. half a pound since yesterday. You'll get there, man. It just takes dedication. You're an to it. inspiration, Benjamin Handelman, and yes. uh, I so appreciate that. Um, and, he, and he says he's down another 60 pounds. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, so today Man. we're gonna take a look at an article that JP dug up, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what it has to say and uh, about atheism. Somebody says this is a clickbait title, kind of, um, but uh, yeah, you got your true ID T-shirt on, yeah. don't you, Jonathan? What's up, Adam? And uh, we love Adam Coleman around. Yes, here. we do. And we love Brenda, who says y'all are awesome. Thank you. Um, so what was the, they were chatting that this is all clickbait? Get oh yeah, let's let's get up. to that real quick. Yeah. So, uh, Uber Scheiser says these types of broadcasts are meant to get angry atheists to interact. That gets the Christians worked up and donate more money and buy merchandise and get more clicks and likes. It's business. Your creativity and entrepreneurship far surpasses mine. Yeah, I don't know what's going on on your channel, Uber Scheiser, but that was never a part of my plan. Uh, my plan with, um. Yeah, thumbnails that will get interaction is is intended. Yeah, it's but like uh, yeah. everyone that watches this show knows that it's my goal to be as charitable as I can. To this is yeah, like you said that this was an article that I went and dug, like I actually tried 
to find something to talk about because I never bother, right? I'm the guy who just kind of shows up and whatever you have for us, we, we go with. Because I put like no effort into this uh, comparably to what you put into it. And so I go I go find an article that I thought was interesting, came out a few days ago. And it's, hold on, hold on. it's got, just clickbait. I've already put this up here, so I have to say something quick. First of all, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. But it, it, it doesn't show the emoji, so it just says a pile of poop with a face. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So, so uh, you know, pro we, true ID donation. Thank you, Benjamin. Woo-hoo. So I I come up with this topic because it was it was in the news. You know, it was uh, from March 9th, two thousand twenty one, responding to an article from two thousand twelve. Uh, so thought, yeah, let's talk about it. So if it, if it has that effect, I've never said we don't want money. When have I ever said that? When have I ever said, don't buy the awesome t-shirts that Braxton designed? I wore one, what, Wednesday? So, yeah, I mean, if that happens, fine. Um, I don't know that it's meant to do that, but it is a nice consequence of it, and so I'm not worried about that. And go buy Adam Coleman's True ID Apologetic shirts. Look how awesome it is. Um, yeah, and we're, and we're about to get into this, but there was someone who gave an incredible testimony a moment ago. Here yeah. it is. Um, I was an anti-theist three years ago, and when I when I started changing my mind about Christianity, apologetics is what made me doubt my atheism and what eventually led me to the Lord. He goes, oh, that s- never happened. Right. According, yeah. Hey, Adam, uh, if you're still with us, go make a video uh, trolling scientists so that you can get uh, people to buy your T-shirt. Just, well, we're not trolling just, scientists. Well, that's what that's what we're accused of doing. That's what so we're I'm saying if it of. if it works, go do it, Adam. Uh, Get them riled up. Okay, we're going to get to that. But first, what I want to do real quick is I've got a commercial, Jonathan, because last night, yesterday, I did an interview with you, uh, Christopher Yuan, Dr. Christopher Yuan, who teaches at Moody Bible Institute. He's been on every imaginable news outlet and everything else. And um, you just need to hear, this is a man who has uh, a story. He was... Um, living as a gay man involved in um, drugs and everything else. And today he's a Bible professor and you can already get this video. If you're a patron at patreon.com slash Trinity radio links in the description, but um, it's coming on Monday. So you'll definitely want to see that. Here's a quick uh, snapshot of what it's like. But one of the most popular uh, atheist voices out there on YouTube is a genetically modified skeptic and genetically modified skeptic was uh, went to a Christian university. And uh, according to him, Dr. Yuan spoke at that university. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that atheist had to say and get Dr. Yuan's reaction toward the end of this video. I, to date, have never used that phrase, ex-gay. As a matter of fact, in my testimony, I even say that I don't identify as ex-gay. So there is a little, you know, quite clear misrepresentation. I mean, again, I don't... I don't know where that where I spoke at, and if there's a recording that we can check on, you know, most likely <laughs> we, there isn't. But I would never have said well, I am ex-gay. The reason I wanted to talk about this is not because I think uh, or am presenting the possibility that Drew, a genetically modified skeptic, is intentionally being dishonest. Um, even just hearing the phrase ex-gay you can pile on in your own thinking assumptions. Oh, they're showing us someone who used to be gay, therefore someone who used to have these desires and now is heterosexual. Um, And again, like you said, the school could have set it up to reinforce that concept or 
Uh, the school may have presented it right, but a particular person at the school said, oh yeah, it's a guy who, who's now heterosexual. So, so that's not the point. The point is really that guys got hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube. And so I wanted to use what influence I have to let you, Dr. Yuan, clarify what you are saying. All right, there it is. So you'll want to be here Monday. I think I'm going to premiere that video at about 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. So you'll want to be here for that. It was a good interview. I saw the whole thing. You saw I, it? You I think it was highly good? recommend people watch this. It's an excellent video. And it's not just about um, what an atheist said about him. It also shares his testimony, which is incredible. And so you'll, that was you'll the best part of the thing. It yeah, was, he gives this great testimony of his life and his yeah. story. And it's Re just responding to... Atheist YouTubers is not, to, in my mind, the best kind of content anyway, even though we do it a lot. <laughs> it's like most of what and, I do. Yeah, it's not my favorite kind of content. Uh, well, before we get to your favorite kind of content, because you picked it out today, um, Benjamin Handelman again uh, says, Adam Coleman Apologetics are helping bring my sister to Christ. Amen. Everyone check out True ID Apologetics. Everyone check out Praise True ID Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, and thank you for that donation. All right, so let's get into this. There is an article. Jonathan, talk about something for a minute so that I can find this article again. Well, the article, uh, this is my show prep, just to give you, when I bother to do it, I type in atheism in my search engine and then hit the news button. And this was like, what, the first or second thing that came up. So I read it and said, okay, show prep done, because that's about it. But I actually like this, uh, this topic. I think it's a very interesting question that... Um, this uh, article is responding to an article from the same website where Real Clear Science from uh, 2012, where uh, it was made the assertion that atheism is unscientific. And it argues that it's primarily unscientific in any sort of way that you would argue that re religious scientists, uh, you know, or, or theism or that kind of thing is unscientific. And it says, well, on the same grounds, that's unscientific. Well, this article wants to push back. And it makes some fair points. Uh, the first article makes some fair points. Uh, it's a little bit more polemical than the response to it. And while I agree with the original author's article that atheism is unscientific, I do it for different reasons than, uh, I think his name is Pomeroy. So, but Alex Cara wrote this article in response. And someone had mentioned in the chat, and I agree with this, it's a pretty charitable article. Uh, article and it makes some some good points that I agree with as well but it made a couple of key points that I, I think go back to a problem in just our cur current cultural climate where it makes a claim that atheism is not unscientific which you and I could agree with that it's not unscientific um, but it further claims it's not unscientific in the same in response to Pomeroy it's not unscientific in the same way that religious beliefs are unscientific, which we have, we would word it differently, wouldn't you say? Uh, because I actually do think that atheism is unscientific on the same uh, way, in the same way that, that theism is unscientific, but neither are technically, unscientific is the wrong language for it. But he wants to argue that atheism is not unscientific and it falls within a, scientific worldview, whereas religious believers can have a scientific outlook insofar as they go about doing their work of science, no dispute there. 
but it is unscientific in a way that atheism is not unscientific. And I have a problem with that contention. All right. So let's get started with this article. The article is called Why Atheism is Not Unscientific. Mm -hmm. And again, it is from Real Clear Science. And the author says, Chief Editor of Real Clear Science, Steve Stephen Ross Pomeroy, has previously argued that atheism, which he and Carl Sagan define as certainty that God does not exist, is unscientific. His claim was in no, response. Whoa, whoa, stop right there. Now, now for atheists watching, this is the definition in the original article that it is operating on. Don't whine that we're strawmanning atheism and atheism is a lack of belief and blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it because we're going by this. Yeah. And we're letting them define their terms. His claim was in response to the frequent needling of religious believers by prominent atheists, some of whom have even gone so far as to make offensive and, more importantly, false claims, such as one university professor who gave a talk titled, If You're Not an Atheist, You're Doing Science Right. This same professor has attacked Christians. Wait a minute. Hold on. If you're not an atheist, you're not doing oh, if science. If you're not an atheist, you're not doing science right. right. Yeah. That's a bogus claim. Yeah. And this the, guy is acknowledging that's a bogus claim. The same professor has attacked Christians like Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health since 2010, under three successive presidents, stating, quote, I don't want American science to be represented by a clown. Pomeroy is right to correct those whose personal prejudices cloud their better judgment. One can certainly, quote, do science right while being religious. Science is not about your personal beliefs. It is a process by which one attains knowledge. There are plenty of scientists, Christians, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, and others who have followed scientific processes in their research and reshaped our understanding of the world. You can do good science no matter what you believe. Well, I don't know about that, but well, whatever what he means, what, whatever your metaphysical Yeah, claims. yeah, yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting about that is I like the way that he says it is a process by which uh, one attains knowledge. He doesn't say it is the process because that's going to, but something he says later kind of under undermines that. If you're, if we're talking about scientific empiricism and rationalism and Kevin O'Connor, who featured, uh, uh, popularly in our last episode, if I remember correctly, and is a really nice guy, says, I'm an atheist. And I guess I'd agree that certainty that no gods exist is unscientific. Um, all right. So, yeah, the original article is using that definition because there are some, not not all atheists, shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. Um, there are some atheists that are happy with that definition that no God exists and they yeah. know that for sure. And, and when we talk about certain, not Cartesian certainty, I think they're trying to temper that using just the colloquial way of saying certainty. Extremely confident. Yeah. Where Pomeroy goes off course is in claiming that atheism is unscientific. Pomeroy's argument here is that one who claims with certainty that God does not exist holds this belief on blind faith, similarly to that of religious zealots they uh, so delight in criticizing. However, the two are simply not equivalent. Bertrand Russell summarily addressed the issue long ago. Quote, I ought to call myself an agnostic, but for all practical purposes, I'm an atheist. I do not think the existence of the Christian God any more probable than the existence of the gods of Olympus or Valhalla. To take another illustration, nobody can prove that there is no between Earth and Mars. Uh, there is not between Earth and Mars a, chi a China teapot revolving in an elliptical orbit. But nobody thinks this sufficiently likely to be taken into account in practice. I think the Christian God just as unlikely. End quote. The point Russell is making here is not to belittle God by comparing him to a teapot, but rather to illustrate that if one believes a phenomenon to be exceedingly unlikely, one need not put a caveat before. 
I believe this does not exist. While it may be true that, from a purely technical standpoint, one should not say, I am certain there is no celestial teapot floating between Earth and Mars. In practice, there is nothing wrong with making such statements. Russell's analogy does not hold up as well as it did before the launch of man-made objects into orbit, but the, uh, the point is still clear. For all intents and purposes, one can claim that they dismiss all sorts of phenomenon with certainty while still being sci scientific in their worldview. If we were to take Pomeroy's argument... It, to its logical conclusion, we should be calling someone unscientific who states they are certain there are no flying teapots, pigs, or spaghetti monsters based on the technicality that anything is possible. <coughs> None of this is to say that atheism is the correct position to hold, only that it falls within the realm of scientific worldviews. Yeah. It is likewise possible to hold theistic beliefs and, and have a scientific outlook, such yeah. as is in the case of DS like Thomas Jefferson. Right. And, and before we get to the distinction between scientific worldview versus you being uh, some kind of theist, and then he goes on to say it's harder for people like us who are Christians in the Abrahamic faith. But before we get it there, that's right in as far as it goes, except he's wrong that he says that the comparison doesn't work and that Russell demonstrates. He's right that atheists don't have to catalog every single thing that they are certain isn't there, whether it's a teapot or they're right. They don't have to do that. But if you're going to claim with the same degree of certainty there is no whether we're talking about Cartesian certainty or not, just because it's possible, whatever, that's no different than than the claim that that Francis Collins is certain that God exists. So there is a functional equivalent to the two that he's trying to reject, because likewise, uh, Francis Collins doesn't just to use Richard Dawkins' kind of talking point back on it. He doesn't have to go catalog everything he rejects either, except for the one thing that he does. Right. So. Well, and here it doesn't it doesn't mean just because you can go discover now that there's no celestial teapot. That's a different kind of thing as discovering whether or not Francis Collins is correct. So if one's certain about one in the, the way that they want to use certainty and one's certain about the other, they are actually the same. And Russell's thing doesn't actually apply to the question that. Uh, Pomeroy is actually addressing. That's what. Yeah. So Smitley so says point, God. Go God ahead. is not an object that you can find as finding a teapot, right? Oh. So this is the sense. So like, if if we're positing a flying teapot orbiting Mars or something, then yeah, that's within the purview of science in the sense that one could uh, theoretically go to Mars and check out and see if there's a teapot flying around somewhere. Um, you can't do that with God in the same way. Um, but God, but when you're saying something like, I'm certain there's not a flying teapot and you don't mean that in the literal Cartesian sense of, I absolutely beyond past doubting know that there's no teapot there. Um, th th that's, that's a different thing. When we're talking about the point that I want to make, the point that I think is relevant here is atheism is awe scientific in the same way that Christianity is awe or theism is awe scientific. Right. You can draw inferences in both, for instance, in principle, an atheist could point to features in the universe that they I mean, they try to do this. They say, well, look, Christopher Hitchens famously used to say, well, look, this thing is poorly designed or um, because he was didn't consider Christian eschatological principles. He said, look, our, our sun is going to we're going to experience a heat death or a cold death or the sun is going to explode or whatever. And that's that's poor design. He'd say some design that is OK. Yeah. So their point, he's making an inference from or things about the development of biological life and say, this is completely messy. It doesn't seem to seem to be sure. It's poor design. design. Again. It, it yeah. speaks against design or design. Uh, des people can make design inferences. Francis like, Collins, William Dembski, those kind of people. And Stephen Meyer. Stephen yeah, Meyer. That, yeah. That, that, that's right. So, so you can draw inferences in both cases, but, but if we're talking about 
what scientists do in the lab. Um, I don't even know what scientific worldview means, but if we're talking about what scientists do in the lab, it's all scientific. Now, on the other hand, there, there used to be this big debate about, well, are the, these, these two realms are non-overlapping magisteria. In other words, they have nothing to do with each other, like metaphysical beliefs, religious beliefs, theistic beliefs, or atheistic beliefs versus, um, you know, scientific, you know, natural stuff in the physical universe. These are non-overlapping magisteria. Some people would say, well, they're partially overlapping magisteria. I actually agree with, I think it was Richard Dawkins who said, no, they're completely overlapping magisteria in the sense that what is real is not real in, in one sense and are real in one realm, like the metaphysical and not real in another, in, in, in reality, reality is reality. They're completely overlapping in that sense. And I think that's actually why you can draw inferences um, from the physical universe about metaphysical things. Right. But well, at the same time, they're both off awe scientific in if we're talking about what scientists do in the lab for another reason that I'm going to go ahead and talk about. But you go ahead, Pritchett. You well, I was going to say what Richard Dawkins is saying. The reason why he thinks they overlap is because of, you know, the scientific empiricism, uh, which is kind of, uh, you know, built on logical positivism and verification, all that stuff is saying because what you want to talk about, any inferences you want to make are absolutely meaningless, whereas the inferences we want to make or these are the only things that can be known that we could verify through, you know, whatever we're presuming on, on metaphysical or, or methodological naturalism, it, whatever we come to discover by that, that's the only thing that's worth talking about. Because nothing you're talking about in any in inferences you make, because, because uh, they're not things or, or they have no meaning, there's no way to talk about it, it's done. So he thinks your, your inferences are all irrelevant. Say so they overlap in the sense that your ideas are within the domain of science and science has uh, shown that there's nothing that everything you talk about is meaningless and gibberish. That's why he thinks they overlap. Whereas you think no, and you're saying, no, they do overlap in the way that you do. But Richard Dawkins, you're wrong uh, in asserting that there's nothing else to talk about because his system actually collapses because number one, you can't prove it via, you can't, affirm scientific empiricism by scientific empiricism. You can't affirm the scientific method by the scientific method. You can't do all of those kinds of things. It's just problematic, right? But but second, it turns out that you're making similar claims about metaphysics, even though you're denying their metaphysics, right? You're saying the only thing that we can know are things that we can show, and nothing else is worth even talking about and have no meaning, which itself is something that you can't demonstrate through the very methods. So it backfires and it's self-defeating. But, you know, that that's where philosophy gets harder than science. And so scientists just want to, nah, I don't want to hear about it. Lamus Tech Lounge says, how significant do you think it is that God told Moses that he is the eternal self-existing one and not another characteristic of himself? So you're probably referring to Exodus 3, where we're talking about the burning bush uh, episode. And in verse 14, we get, I am who I am. And of course that is um, referenced in the new Testament as well. Uh, why, why do I think that's what he said instead of something else? Um, I mean, I don't know I, that he's, he's basically saying I'm it. I am the one he's true giving God. further self-disclosure than you yeah. had actually had had. Right. Um, yeah. So you gotta, you know, centuries have passed. <laughs> <laughs> since since we leave Joseph, right? And so God is giving 
some self-revelation that's quite important going forward uh, for the Hebrew people and the nation of Israel right there. So, Amen. I, I think you start with that. This is who I am. You think about what his upbringing in Egypt, what, how, what they think about the ontology of the gods, you know, of Egypt and elsewhere, right? This is different. Those, those gods are limited in some way. Right. Here's what, here, here's the verse. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So number one, he's, he's, this is a message that is to be given to the children of Israel. So the initial thing that, that comes to my mind is ultimately, look, I'm the one that really matters. I'm above all else. I'm, I, it's, it's, it's. Uh, in one sense, a polemical comment toward the right. gods it, that they're familiar with. It relativizes all other gods. Yeah. That, and as <laughs> Revelation progresses, you know, the belief that by the time you get to Paul, yeah, those really aren't the things you think they are, <laughs> right? He says yeah. that in 1 Corinthians. So yeah. we, we, those of us who have knowledge, we know that those aren't really yeah. a thing in the world, right? So, but that's where it starts for, for, for through, through Israel's history. So that's why I think it's there, but yeah. Okay, and uh, transgendered, transracial, lesbian Christians, uh, thank you for the super chat, says, hey everyone, what do you guys mean when you say one Bible, three creeds, four councils, etc.? Is there a link where I can look at this in detail? That's Pritchett Cam time. One Bible, two testaments, three creeds, four councils, and the consensus of the early church fathers in the first five centuries. What we mean is, if you look at... Uh, the even even though Catholic canon and other canons aren't the same as the Protestant canon, we all agree on the sixty six books that Protestants are most familiar with, right? I mean, we don't accept the Apocrypha as scripture, but we accept that Bible of of divine inspiration in at minimum those sixty six books, right? You have uh, three creeds and four councils and a consensus of all. Uh, the church fathers, where they agree, and they didn't agree on a whole lot, but where they did agree, generally Catholics, Orthodox, Protestant, various denominations, they all uh, agree agree with that. So if you have the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, you all agree with that. You agree with the Nicaea, Constantinople, Chalcedon, you know, Ephesus. Those are uh, those are the consensus. That's that's where we all agree. And so for people like me, that defines the sphere of Christianity. So you don't ever hear me saying, oh, Catholics are heretics, even though I'm not Catholic or Eastern Orthodox. Now, you'll find some Calvinist Reformed guys who will, and some Protestant Armenian types and Southern Baptist types who think they're all here. I don't. I think that that's, that's what you need to believe. Uh, that's historic Christianity. And, uh, other things are either that are contrary to that is heresy or just disputable matters. So thank you for that super chat. And hopefully that answers your question. And uh, I want to say for anyone that's here that doesn't normally watch the show um, on the Friday live stream, this is primarily a Q and a. So if we mix Q and a quite a bit with whatever content we're covering, that's kind of the point of the show. Yeah, um, uh, we our super chats will derail our subject every time. Thank you, Michael Eads. I appreciate that so much. That is so generous of you. Um, and, and that means a lot. Now, there was actually a, another good one here. A um, couple of good ones I want to get to. 
One was, where did it go? Brando, here we go. Um, have you heard of the Middle Eastern bush that releases a flammable oil and could set itself on fire? If this was actually the bush Moses saw, would that bother you? No, the answer is no. Um, because it wasn't just that a bush caught on fire. I mean, certainly we could look at that as an act to demonstrate some measure of power uh, for Moses, or it could just be to catch Moses' attention. Um, but the, the point was that God spoke in a revelatory way to Moses. He communicated to Moses. That's the thing that's uh, incredible about this. That a bush simply caught on fire and was consumed um, is incredible. If I knew there was a bush that had oil that did that, as you're telling me now that there is, and I was walking through the desert tending to my sheep and I saw that happen, I would still be amazed <laughs> that that happened. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but, but the major point here is it's kind of like, um, and we, we talk about this quite regularly on this show is that even if you explain something scientifically, how a particular thing happened, that is really unusual and unlikely. It took place in a religiously informed theater. The example I always like to go to is people will often point out that the Jordan River is prone to mudslides that dam up the river so that the Jordan River um, is stops or is impeded in a dramatic way. Well, when the Israelites came into Canaan for the first time, they crossed the Jordan River and the priests who were holding the Ark of the Covenant put their feet in the Jordan River as they were carrying it through and the river stopped. And some people say, oh, that's easy to explain. The river Jordan River is prone to these mudslides and it's damming up. Okay. That it happened at exactly yeah. that moment and exactly that way because there's a religiously significant theater there. And in that moment, not only religiously, but nationally significant, it it, it points beyond itself to something important. Yeah. So no, it wouldn't bother me. Yeah, it wouldn't bother me. Same thing with the rebellion at Korah and the ground opening up. I'm sure tectonic plates were involved, but it's the context, right? So I have no problem with the God of this universe either manipulating or activating the physical causes and forces of this universe uh, in a way that he sees fit to execute judgment or to communicate with Moses or whatever else. That's, that's not a thing. It's like the people who talk about whether or not the serpent in the garden's mouth moved while words were being spoken, or was it a voice associated with the serpent? You know, but if you looked at the serpent, you wouldn't see like, you know, miming human words or whatever. And, I don't even understand why that fascinates people and distracts from, well, what did the serpent say? <laughs> right? Michael so, Eads gave $5 a minute ago and he says, hello, Braxton and Jonathan. This is my first super chat donation. I'm sorry. I don't have a question, but I wanted to thank you both for all your work and for what it's done for my faith. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Michael. Eads. That just, that's amazing. We're yeah. so blessed by that. And glad you found us that that's so um, yeah. encouraging to us. I do want to answer this question before I get to uh, the rest, the rest of, of the comment on the article. Yeah. Um, but Ivan says, in general, how far do we take witnessing to those around us in everyday life? I always try to be friendly, loving, and helpful, open about my faith, and ready to talk if asked. Well, I think that's good. I think here. So here's my uh, here's what I. You can't be legalistic. There's there's not a legalistic part of this. It's like if you don't witness at least three times a week to the person sitting to your immediate right in the third classroom in your in your in college or something, well, then you're not really truly a lover of God and you don't care about people. It's something like that. It's, there's not a legalistic thing here. But what I think is the people that you, uh, obviously there are moments where we should witness to people who are not uh, people we meet on a regular basis, but the people that you interact with on a daily basis, I think that um, they should at some point early on, they should know basically what your general worldview is, that you're a Christian, yeah. that you're a believer, because you, you know, in conversation, if you have conversations that aren't strictly about work, 
uh, or school or whatever, then then um, the most important thing in our lives as Christians is who we are in Christ. And so we would expect that to come out to some degree. Now, beyond that, I think that there, there's strategy here. It's not like there's a, a clear, obvious, expl- you know, um, standard for how to do this, although some people think there is. I just think that, uh, number one, don't be the kind of person that is so belligerent about this or so forcing it forcing the subject um, unnaturally into every conversation that the person doesn't want to be around you at all. But at the same time, look for opportunities, look for moments where it would actually be appropriate and organic to bring this up. And I think that's a good way to do it. And yeah. um, Yeah, And you're being friendly, loving and helpful, open about your faith and ready to talk it fast. You can also put out feelers like harmless feelers, clickbait, if you will, since people, you know, we fine clickbait. Uh, you know, you can bring up, it, it, even in pleasantries, just say, yeah, this is a beautiful day that the Lord has made. Throw that out there mm-hmm. and see if they they bite on that. Yeah, yeah. And, sure. and God's really blessed me today because I'm, you know, I was able to bench more than I did last time I was on the way. It was something. Just throw it out there and see see if, if that strikes up a conversation. And if it doesn't, you don't have to force it. But know? what would you say, Vasco Venti says, what would you say to someone who lives in a secular culture where nobody brings up religion and it is viewed as weird to do so? Be weird. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're called to be a peculiar people or we're described as being a peculiar people. And I, I think it's okay. Again, as long as, um, as long as it's presented the right way, even as Jonathan said, you know, I mean, you could say you could say something like uh, looking at some beautiful um, mountain or or uh, you know forest or or something like that. You could you could say something like, "Man, I just really it's it's a work of art. It really seems like someone designed that." And leave it at that. Um, especially in a society like that, if you're that odd, people will might question you if they if they suspect you're the person you're the kind of person that would be friendly in a conversation. So, I mean, I've been in, you know, mostly secular societies and found plenty of opportunities. Um, of course, I do think that, that I'm an Ephesians 411 evangelist. So maybe that, that, that is, comes really naturally to me in some way, but I've also been in a multitude of different, uh, societies where, where, um, there are various religions and things like that. And it just, it seems like worldview issues. People are interested, even if they're not used to talking about it all the time, they're thinking about it. And so, um, it can come up. Okay. Um, get to those that you, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Is this where I'm at? Yeah, those two. Okay. Uh, let's see. $5 from Dylan, the dingo. Thank you, Dylan, the dingo. Hey guys, don't have a question, but I love your content and we'll be praying for your channel. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And Robert Nass Worthington says, could you help me understand what exactly is pre-sub apologetics? What is distinctive about it? Also, do you have an opinion on it? Okay, yeah. now that's going to be a little bit of an involved thing, so I don't want to undervalue your super chat, but I am going to go ahead and finish up this article, and yeah, your we'll, question and we'll, will be the first one we right. come back to. Let me write that we, down. We, so yeah, write that down. Okay, so here's the thing that I think gets tricky about I'm this. I'm going to get priests up here in a bit. I think so. what gets tricky about an article like this is it doesn't give me heartburn. that th- there are two things that we that come up in these discussions. So you have... When it comes to naturalism, the, the you know, functioning as though, let's just Methodological. say. Well, we're going to get there. Functioning as though nothing supernatural uh, or some people don't like the term supernatural, but, I don't. but only nature exists. Only physical stuff exists and, and that sort of thing. Um, there is methodological naturalism and then there is metaphysical naturalism. Methodological naturalism is what scientists do in the lab when they're working on some uh, issue in science, whether that's chemistry or whatever else. They're, we, they're presuming for their work 
They may be the most hardcore Bible-thumping Southern Baptist you've ever seen, but they're presuming for their work naturalism. In other words, they're not trained for, and we're not asking them to start uh, drawing spiritual conclusions about this and putting them in scientific journals. We want them to go as far as naturalism can take them in their work, uh, as far as they can understand the natural world, because what they're working on is the natural world. That's the domain we want them to yeah. work on. Um, to that end, you could have someone who is who is an atheist who wants to learn, figure out this whole thing that Christians, some Christians believe about inerrancy and say, I'm going to do methodological inerrancy and study the Bible and presume that every bit of it is true and see how far I can get with that. And they may not believe that at all, but they're presuming methodological inerrancy to 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 figure it out and to do stuff in the Bible like yeah. that. Um, on the other hand, then there is metaphysical naturalism. Metaphysical naturalism is, is no, that's the truth about the way the world is. Right. It's not just what I'm doing in the lab. That's the truth about the way the world is. Now, there are many Christians. And in 2009, Jonathan dug this up. But in 2009, there was um, a, a study, a statistical study that found that 51 percent of scientists that answered to that, study. that answered were actually theists. Yeah, that was it. That's linked in the original uh, the. The 2012 uh, article. Yeah, in the 2012, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, 51% so, of respondents yeah. reported a belief in a higher power. So that those people are metaphysical theists, but they're doing methodological naturalism in yeah. the lab, and that's fine. So that's the problem. So when you say, is atheism unscientific or is Christianity unscientific, it, it's a flawed question. Right. The reason it's a flawed question is because it's not giving us an inform, enough information to figure out what you mean by that. Right. And that's why, as charitable as I thought Alex Caro was being in this towards, you know, Pomeroy and towards uh, the religious people who practice science, I have to take issue with his defense. Because, like I said, I, I agree with him for them. Well, his use of Russell doesn't get him where he wants it to be. But in general, in principle, I agree with him that uh, he's right to push against Pomeroy's claim, but he makes a couple of claims that I reject. Number one, that atheism is actually, turns out, uh, scientific in, in a way that theism is not. That's false. And that, that distinction between methodological naturalism, which all scientists use, and metaphysical naturalism, which is what some, at least these hard atheists, want to claim. And I know there's atheists that don't believe in God, but they still believe in magical powers and fairies and whatever else and witchcraft. Okay, fine. But, I mean, we're just, let us stick with the categories, these articles, right? So, uh, to me, if you're claiming, a, making a metaphysical claim, you've left in the same way that a Christian believer has left methodological naturalism if you're saying science proves this in the same way that uh you know richard dawkins says science proves god's this this is a delusion or francis collins says here's what i've looked at on the human genome project and this is why i, I think all of this stuff points to uh intelligent design and and i'm a christian because i saw the waterfall split in three or whatever his story was right so that's where both people have left science and that's why Caro gets this wrong in defending atheism as falling within a scientific worldview. Because as far as science is concerned, whether you believe in metaphysical naturalism or you are a supernaturalist, if you like those terms, I don't like any of those terms, by the way. But naturalism and supernaturalism is a juxtaposition or a dichotomy that was post-enlightenment that 
I don't think has any merit. Uh, you can, you know, and the, the Bible talks about the visible and the invisible, but that's a unified whole. We, when we categorize natural versus supernatural, there's a weak way to categorize that as if we're just talking about things that are inexplicable versus things that are. But some want to say this is for some other thing, and then uh, natural is for this thing. So I'm not a fan of that, but for the purposes of this conversation, if you are making supernatural claims based on inferences from science, or you're making metaphysical claims about uh, there is no God and I have a reasonable degree of certainty and the universe is a certain way where there no God exists. And this is because science, right? Both the atheist and Francis Collins are, are, are putting their hat on the rack of because science and they're both doing identical things. So that's why I would say that atheism is not scientific in a way that Christian theism is not. That's where Caro gets this wrong. All right. So at this point, we're going to go back to uh, this issue of presuppositionalism. But hold yeah. on to what we just said there, because we are going to apply that to some Christian apologists in a certain way that were brought up by someone else in the questions. But let's go back to Robert Nass Worthington, who asked about presuppositionalism. So basically, when you come to Christian apologetics, and there's a great book on this. Um, I, well, actually, I think uh, there's a really a, good book a, called Evangelistic Apologetics. That I, I do. I do cover all this in yes. Evangelistic Apologetics. Very good book. But also, thank you, Pritchett. But Not your best, but a good book. Thank you. I really but like it. also, um, Avery Dulles goes into the actual historical underpinnings of this and everything else yeah. in his book, A History of Apologetics. But if you want the most direct uh, tr and ex expansive treatment of this, although it doesn't give the history like Dulles does, um, you can get five views on apologetics from Zondervan's Counterpoint series, and you'll actually get to see William Lane Craig and Gary Habermas argue because they have slightly differing perspectives. Yeah. So here are the perspectives real quick. So you have classical apologetics, which is what I, I consider myself to be a classical apologist. And a classical apologist says, okay, first we're going to try to argue for God's existence. So if you'll notice in William Lane Craig's debates, he'll, he'll often give several arguments to show that God exists. And atheists will often say, well, that's no good because that doesn't get you the Christian God. Well, that's because classical apologetics is a two-step process. It's a two-step approach. First, you try to show that some God exists. And then secondly, you provide a case for the resurrection or in some other way, the deity of Christ to show that um, Jesus, uh, so to, to, give, to put a name tag on that God, it's, it's the God of Jesus. It's the Christian God. And so you show that God exists and usually the resurrection. So it's two-step. God exists, resurrection. Uh, that's the classical approach. The evidential approach, although presuppositionalists call everyone else besides them evidentialists, uh, and in a certain respect, that's true. But the second approach is the evidentialist approach. And the evidentialist approach is the same as the classical approach, except there's just no arguing directly for God's existence. It's just a case for the resurrection. Okay, so that's easy. Classical apologetics, two step. God exists. Then God raised Jesus from the dead. Evidentialist approach. God raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, number three is cumulative case apologetics, which is an abductive form of reasoning where That's you're not me. trying to show uh, that these you're not trying to defend any one argument to the hilt. You're just saying that when you put a bunch of these arguments or facts about the way the world is together, then they make better sense on Christian theism, on Christian theism yeah. which is the first of the questions in the 10 atheist 10 questions for atheists that I did was based on a cumulative case approach. Uh, then there's Reformed epistemology, which it is not necessary for us to go into right now. Uh, but basically, it's saying that you you don't you don't have to have um, uh, arguments external and arguments and evidence you have to you be have justified in warrant believing. for 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 the existence of God to be a properly basic belief without having to demonstrate it. Yep. And then uh, lastly, you have presuppositional apologetics, which is what you asked about. So you may not care about anything else that I just said. 
But presuppositional apologetics is basically saying, um, is basically saying, look, um, rather than getting on the level playing field with the skeptic and looking at things we agree about, because you'll notice like with classical, with any of the others, what we're doing is we're pointing to things that we already agree are true about the way the world is. Same data, but offering competing explanations and demonstrating why the Christian explanation is superior. So, so philosophically speaking, the Kalam yeah. cosmological argument, for example, is trying to show, give you premises that you're likely to already agree with or that we can defend in such a way that hopefully you'll agree with, even if you're not a Christian. And then we reason together up to God's existence. The resurrection, we look at the historical facts that non-believers agree. We reason up to the resurrection. The presuppositionalist presumes uh, the triune God of Christianity from the jump and then argues that you can't partly that you can't even make sense when you try to argue with us, you are borrowing from our worldview because if there, if the, if the triune God of Christianity did not exist, then, then there would be no foundation for logic itself. He is the reason we have an intelligible and rational universe. And as a result, when you make arguments against the existence of the triune God of Christianity, you are using logic and reason that demonstrates the triune god of christianity which is why atheism is unscientific because it has no and and this is where i think presuppositionalism is helpful i agree with the presuppositionalists on this god grounds intelligibility the eternal active mind of god grounds reason logic intelligibility makes things like math and science possible and what makes atheism unscientific in my view is that they can't give an account for why science works, especially on metaphysical naturalism, because there's no natural goo. There's no stuff of that works that you can point to and show me that that works dirt and say, see, logic works because of this material gunk. Uh, where's the gunk, right? So you're already jumping to having to need abstractions. You're already, you know, universals, all kinds of concepts. And so because you can't point to a stuff and say, see, there's there, that's the logic stuff. Right. So you can assert it's brute fact about the cosmos, but these are intellectual things. They can't just be conventions that we made up because they seem to work remarkably well. So what grant, what kind of thing would have to ground intellectual things? Well, uh, in abstractions, well, an active eternal mind. And so the presuppositionalist is right in this sense that Christianity is true. And because it's true, you have to borrow from Christianity to be able to even get off the ground trying to demonstrate it's not. Which is why, unlike Braxton, presuppositionalism doesn't give me heartburn to the degree. Presuppositionalists often give me heartburn, and they no presuppos presuppositionalism doesn't give me heartburn. I don't have a pro. I agree with what they're saying. Yeah. If there were no triune God of Christianity, since I believe there is, and that He's the foundation for all of reality, obviously you wouldn't have logic. I agree with all that stuff. The problem is, I don't think that that is. I don't think that that's persuasive to the average Joe. And even if it is, I think by the time you explain to him what you're trying to yeah. say, it's, it's. So there's, there's, there's two prongs here. The impossibility of the contrary. Christianity has to be true. And because it's true, everything else is default false. And you have to borrow from Christianity to even get off the ground trying to argue with me about it. And you try to demonstrate that their presuppositions about all the things that they hold cannot withstand scrutiny in the absence of the truth of Christianity, right? Okay. That's one prong. We... The other prong is the the use, they're not opposed to arguments, and some 
presuppositionalists, not all, aren't even opposed to evidences because you eventually have to get around to evidences to back up your assertions, which far too many presuppositionalists don't bother. So while I appreciate the undermining of opposing competing worldviews, that aspect of it I think is good. I even think that at least a transcendental argument like the moral argument is good. Uh, in fact, William Lane Craig uses that. Um, I don't think the, the fatal flaw is, one, some of the ways that these presuppositions come off, uh, and two, the, the fact that they fail to demonstrate why, not why another world falls, but why there is, their, their assertion of the Christian God is, is the necessary requirement. So Okay. But you can use <clears throat> things from the presuppositionalist arsenal, which I do, which I think Braxton does and others. So with all of these methods that Braxton went over, they all have problems. They all have good things about them. So use all the good things about them and use from each of the good things and don't worry about the bad things about any of them. Amen. All right. So um, I said that a million times on this show. The, toolkit the, apologetics. Someone, I can't find their question anymore, said, well, people like William Lane Craig and Frank Turek and so forth. Should, I don't remember exactly how they said it, but something like, is their response credible or something when they are when they already believe on the basis of the Holy Spirit? Uh, yes, there is actually a video where uh, from maybe two years ago now where Dr. Pritchett and I responded to an atheist professor who basically made that argument, which was bizarre. He showed a clip of William Lane Craig saying that even if he had no argumentation on the witness of the Holy Spirit, he would believe. And and he said there. So how seriously should we take his arguments? Your the, the success of the arguments have nothing to do with the other beliefs that the person presenting the arguments holds. Right. The, 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 the fact that William Lane Craig would believe independent of arguments doesn't defeat the arguments that he that he gives. Right. How so, is that an argument against the argument? Right. It's right. Not. What is the premise there? So uh, everything that begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Um, well, here's my objection to that argument. William Lane Craig would believe in Christianity even if uh, he didn't have that argument. Oh, okay, that that fails as an objection. It doesn't attack any of the premises. So anyway, uh, that's that's how I respond to that. Punchbowl haircut. Thank you so much. He Woo-hoo! says the super chat button keeps lighting up green, so I guess I should listen to it. Yes, you should. <laughs> I appreciate that. Punchbowl Please haircut. do. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Layman's Tech. That's Lounge still my favorite handle. Punch says I, I guess what I was trying to get at is that God was declaring that that he is the uncaused first cause to Moses, something we understand more today. Well, that's certainly true. I mean, I, I think you see, I look at Genesis one and I could be wrong about this, but I, I think um, a lot of people who see it as a literary framework understand that it's uh, poly- partly polemical, not, if not entirely polemical in nature. Um, what, at the very least, what I think is going on is the children of Israel had been in a culture where it was very clear that these particular features of reality represent gods. And when they read Genesis 1, or they hear Genesis 1, rather, what they're hearing is, no, 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 God made all that stuff. God stands causally and explanatorily yeah. above all those things. Yeah, the big lie, so to that extent, I think light, you're those right. Those aren't gods. Those are decorations so that God's people can track holidays and festivals. Meow, meow, meow says, science cannot discern whether there's more to reality than science can discern. Thank you. Um, Rayton, i.e., this isn't a science question, and all positions here are philosophically derived. Smart atheists agree. Yes, they do. And Thank you for that atheists, super chat so much. And smart atheist philosophers owe Christian philosophers a debt of gratitude for keeping atheist philosophers relevant 
when it looked for a while in maybe like the late 90s, early 2000s, they were just going to close the doors and give up and bow to science and say, yeah, we don't know anything. We're just spewing nonsense and we should quit. And Robert Nass, thank you for that follow-up super chat. He says, thank you. The chance to ask experts these questions is invaluable. But you know what? We're not presuppositionalists, really. I mean, Pritchett says he likes it and that he might use it as a toolkit. I, I, I but, use the best method for the best con but we're not, for context that I'm in. If I'm in a specific context where I think presuppositionalism is likely to be helpful to undermine whatever nonsense. You made that point clear. Are, yeah. You made that so clear. use whatever is best for any given situation. But we think that, for the gospel. or I shouldn't say we, I don't know what Pritchett thinks about this, but I think that though we try not to straw man positions, um, I think it's good to hear what, what a, uh, an advocate for that position says so one you can get the book five years on apologetics which is a really fun read go check out but eli ayala's channel that's what i was about to say eli ayala has revealed apologetics he is a presuppositional apologist my favorite and in my opinion i think he's the best yes of presuppositional apologists who f who talk about it a lot okay yeah. yes. there may be someone better and they just don't talk about it a lot so i don't know but he's really good no he's and he the is best. convinced that, that it is the right approach. Yeah, he's wrong about that. But let me let me tell you why he's the best. Because he knows as much about it as others. And he's a lot more likable than a whole lot of others in the presuppositional camp. So. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm looking for more questions here. Uh, but I skipped through a whole bunch of stuff. And I don't know. <laughs> Ivan, thank you for that super yeah. chat. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, do, do we need to go through the rest of this article? Is it important? I think we've already given our answer. Well, the rest of it's just trying to shore up something that, that it, it he, he doesn't achieve because our, like I said, I can agree with him as far as he goes, but he's just wrong because for the same reason why the other guy was wrong there. Once you jump out of methodological naturalism to start making metaphysical claims on the basis of science, you actually are the same thing, whether you're an atheist or a Francis Collins, whether you're Richard Dawkins or athe uh, as for atheism or Francis Collins for Christianity, you're the same once you start using inferences from science to advocate for something else. So that's where I think this was an interesting dialogue from a guy responding to something years prior, you know, but uh, they, they both missed the mark, which, you know, for science journals, it's not surprising. Um, so in, in, I See do want to make this there? clear to answer the question, was the uh, thumbnail clickbait? Not entirely. We did. We we did uh, present the question that people yeah. are asking. And our answer is our answer is yeah. actually not what you would expect. Hardcore apologists right. to say. You might think, oh, they're just so excited to say that atheism is unscientific. We just think that it's, it's a wrong question. It's a wrong question. Right. You're asking, you're asking, is atheism, it's the same, atheism and Christianity, once you start using science to promote a worldview or make metaphysical claims, you're no longer doing science. So it's, I like, you, you liked awe scientific. I like non-scientific it's like saying is love rational or irrational well it could just be non-rational and leave it at that it's fine right and it's okay for atheism to be non-scientific and so whether that also equals unscientific or scientific that's who cares because it's non-scientific it's a totally different thing from science atheism and science are no more linked to get together 
then you could say Christianity in science, except insofar as the inferences you make, whether you're Francis Collins or Richard Dawkins, and, okay, then you hash those metaphysical claims out and you use philosophy and science to support your premises or whatever in philosophical arguments. But now you're no longer doing science. You're not telling me how something works or why something occurs. So, so yeah, they're both not non-scientific. But atheism could be construed as unscientific because it fails to give an account for how you can even do science at all, whereas at least Christianity can. Angel WVM says, after a long while of listening to both atheists and Christians, I see much more bias coming from atheist view than from Christian view. Thank you for that super chat, Angel WVM. I really, really appreciate that. Excuse me, but has a question for you, Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Can Jonathan expand upon the apologetic history he referenced a couple of minutes ago when theists almost succumbed to scientism? When the I never made that. I said atheist philosophers about you could they they just fawned all over scientists and said just science is the our only means of knowledge and they're like yeah uh, you know I was in the philosophy department at UCA and I saw this. It's it's almost as if they didn't think they had anything to talk about anymore because of all this logical positivism stuff. And, you know, it's just that now you see over the last, what, 20 years or so, more and more atheists kick against these science uh, scientists, popularizers out there promote, using it to promote atheism. And they're and they're finally kicking back against that. And I think that they owe their current careers and relevancy, even though philosophy departments are still shutting down all over the place to the fact that Christian philosophers brought significant challenges and made significant use of scientific data to draw inferences to make arguments for theism that put these guys back to work. Uber That's the says, renaissance of Christian philosophy that William Lane Craig and Plantinga always talk about, and I'm saying a consequence of that was giving atheist philosophers some something to do again. Uber Scheiser says, if you were born to a Muslim imam in an Islamic society, do you think you would follow in his footsteps as you did your father's and become an Islamic apologist? Um, the question is, the answer to that question is, I don't know. And the follow up uh, extrapolate or uh, exposition on that is, why does it matter what my psychology would be under any circumstances? It doesn't affect the truth. Uh, about the nature of reality. Right. You know, it's like someone asked uh, William Lane Craig one time, what he would think, like, would he, would he abandon his faith if his wife was killed in a car accident or something like that? And he said, I don't think so, but I don't know what I would do in such a circumstance as that. You could but become in, a mechanic for But in life. neither case does that change the truth about the nature of reality. Right. But as far as that, you could have become a mechanic somewhere in Iran. We don't, who knows what you would have, what you would have done. Um, Ben Ablaze, I hope I said that right, says, what do you guys think of evolution? Although I do not believe in it, even though I am doing genetics in uni, like IP, I like IP stuff, but I was just wondering what you think. Yeah, I love uh, inspiring philosophy. I think a lot of his stuff is great. I agree with a lot of stuff he says. I don't affirm evolution at all, but that doesn't keep me from liking his content. I lack a belief in evolution. So here's my position. Oh, okay, I'm actively disbelieving in evolution. So people so, people often say I'm a strong a, uh, evolutionist. You're a you're a let lack, me say what I am. But you're are a you lack evolutionist? Here's the thing: people often say about me that I am a theistic evolutionist. Others say I'm a young Earth creationist. When I've been very clear multiple times 
I don't think that someone is not a Christian if they <laughs> affirm evolution. Um, I take a liter I take a literary framework approach to Genesis one. I think if evolution turned out to be true, it would not in the slightest mean that Christianity is false because God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead and many other propositions. Most other, I mean, it's not even touched upon by the question of whether evolution is true or not in that sense. Um, so I lack a belief in evolution. I'm waiting to be convinced. But I'll tell you what really bothers me, and I'm glad I can't remember this person's name right now, because if I re could remember it, I would tell you this person's name. And perhaps the Holy Spirit doesn't want me to tell you this person's name for other reasons. But uh, there was a person, that I, the, an atheist, who uh, was a podcaster, YouTuber, who I'd become kind of, you know, acquaintances with. And we would joke around and talk and stuff on Twitter, mostly. Had some private conversations on Twitter in the DMs. And uh, one day someone asked me this question and I said what I said just now. And he said, I can't, this is so sad. I'm so disappointed because this person that I thought I could have respect for is a science denier and I've got no respect for them anymore. And went on to just, I mean, completely uh, trash me and uh, to the point that, that it was like, and what I, my response to that was, hold on a second. You're a lack theist. And you praise skepticism and you think that a person should be uh, should deserve a, a, an amount of respect for um, withholding their conclusion about a particular thing and remaining skeptical until they're convinced. And it's OK for them to lack a belief. That's exactly what I'm doing right now right. It's what you want done. So how in the world is it not a crazy double standard? Good for me, and if the, for thee. And if the answer is, if the answer is, yeah, but evolution is so obviously true and every scientist believes in all that. Okay, 98% of the history of humanity believes that there's a God. Right. So I, what? it's just, it was so like, um, I don't know. It, it was yeah, very irritating. It's, it's irritating. As far as I, I have the same kind of literary framework, how old is the earth? I couldn't possibly care less. The Bible doesn't answer that Whatever question. Whatever scientists so, say is my answer. I don't. Well, no. Because those are things I can have access to. Well, which scientists? What, 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 it's like, like, the majority. Those I, are that's something I can have actual access to. Yeah, but There are things that you can show me right now that, that help me understand and, and see more obviously. The, the, I, 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 the majority is... The majority, a consensus doesn't always have the best... No, you can't even go with that. Well, no, it's, of course that's true. That the just because it's a consensus be doesn't mean it's tr they're right. That's absolutely right. I'm just saying I I've seen evidence. Or like you said, the atheist needs to concede theism. Evident, there's evidence that helps me believe what they're saying is true on this. Um, overwhelming enough for me. But thank you, Jesus says I'm a young Earth creationist because I don't see any evidence of animals evolving into other kinds. And mm -hmm. listen, as I've said many times, every time this subject comes up, I get all this email from evolutionists and from young earth creationists. Um, and, and I just want you to know I'm, this is where I ultimately, for my purposes, am in the camp that Jonathan's in, not w with respect to how he views evolution, but more with the, look, I'm an evangelist. I want to see people come to Christ. I'm an apologist for Christianity. When it comes to this issue, I, I don't think you're an idiot. If you're a young earth creationist, I don't think you're an idiot. If you're an evolutionist, I, I'm just, uh, I, you know, it's not the ultimate important thing to me. Not that it's not an important thing. It's not the ultimate important thing right. for my ministry. 
All right, let's get back to it. Um, and I, I don't know, am I seeing anybody else uh, that has any questions? We may have come to the end here. Yeah. Uh, Iago Silva says, preach it, preach it. I probably don't even remember what I was saying at that point. Probably stuff you said about IP. No. Yeah, okay, here we go. For every Braxton Hunter, there are several preacher's children who left you the faith to, altogether. You had to comment on it. Yes, there are... There are local chapters of we're free thinking atheists that were started by sons of Southern Baptist. We, we, we get it. Okay. So first of all, again, does, I thought we were all about the evidence here, right? I thought we were all about evidence and argument when it comes to the worldview discussions. That's why I hear from atheists all the time, but then, and I'm not, I don't know who this is. I'm not picking on you, Marty Python, clever name. No, I, I I'm, I'm just saying. Does this have anything to do with the evidence? No punchable haircut, but it's clever. It's it has nothing to do with the truth about the matter. It is biographical information about individuals. Now that said, um, I hear all the time one of the things I always hear from people who give their testimony about being raised as a young Earth creationist, fundamentalist. Uh, you know, went to Pensacola Christian or whatever. You know, because that they make all the Abeka books that pretty much all Christian schools used in the 80s and 90s, um, which I did. And I was raised YEC. But here's the thing. I hear them talk about how this like scarred them and, and held them back when they were in college and they had to learn all this stuff that everybody else got in elementary school and high school. You know, there's a guy already in the chat today saying he's in some, what did you say? So one of the, one of the sciences. And, and he's like, and I, I don't believe in evolution. Um, the, the fact is, you're not going to be scarred because you didn't learn all the details of evolution. Andy Armstrong, who, who works here, went to a Christian, in fact, a Church of Christ um, university, Lipscomb University in Nashville, got a biology degree, learned everything about evolution. He said, it didn't, it, he said first of all, evolution didn't come up as much as people act like it does. Secondly, uh, for all I can tell, our professors were evolutionists. Yeah, biology so I, is a, you take biology in 10th grade, and then you never really get that subject matter again unless you elect to or whatever and then then in your gen ed either your first year you take biology in the lab unless you're taking it unless you're a major or something that speak these, these people who are whining about that speaks more of their capacity to read a textbook and pass an exam than it does being scarred and ill-prepared because they never that's nonsense read your textbook and, and do well you're partying in college that's why you didn't do well in your biology class even if you've never heard of it before, you have a textbook, read it, study, and pass the test. Jerry Coyne is wrong, and I always call him Jeffrey Coyne. Jerry Coyne is wrong and confused on natural theology, but his 2009 book, Why Evolution is True, is a compelling case for evolution. Do you disagree? So the thing, and he brings some of this up in that book, the thing that he mentions with the with the coffee cup stain and on the paper, and, and it has to do with, it looks like there's genetic um information that say higher primates also have that has passed on to us and it it doesn't seem like it serves any great function it seems like it's an evidence that we come from a common ancestor and all those sorts of things that's the thing that um that is the best evidence to me that the the evidence of uh, dna features genetic features that are similar that look like they, I'm probably butchering this, but, but don't, didn't, that we don't have to have, but we have them and these higher primates have them. And it looks like we share a common ancestor from that. I think that's a pretty good case. 
I think that's pretty interesting. And it also is something that Francis Collins talked about way back in 2008 in his book, The Language of God. And so it's not to say, so my point is not that there's no evidence. Now, there are some who would say that. But my point is just that I'm yet to be persuaded. There's data. Evidence is using data, press, and service to argument to make a conclusion from the from the data. I don't think it's... I don't. I, I think it's that data doesn't support it, so I don't even think it's good evidence. But that's just me, and I don't, admittedly, care. But I'm just still not convinced of evolution. Mr. Timoth- better explanations. Mr. Timoth- Timotheus Ward, thank you for that un- incredible super chat. And by the way, I just want to say this: I am so grateful for that super chat, and that's a lot of money to me. And 300 pounds is a lot of money to me. But we recognize yeah. that for some people, giving $5 is as much of a sacrifice as someone else giving $100. So $50 I, I is a rec- sacrifice. I recognize that, but that That's is still unbelievable. Thank yeah. you. And he says, I heard a talk on universalism by Robin Perry on the Rethinking Hell channel. Now I really want it to be true. Any resources you would recommend on the topic? I'm thinking I should hurry up and debunk it so my disappointment won't be so bad later. Well, I, I, I don't have a problem with wanting you wanting it to be true. The problem is, is it I true? hope it's true. I just don't think it's, it's true. It's just, yeah. Um, as yeah, I'm really convinced it's not true, but, um, actually, no, I, I can't point you to, uh, the best case for it. I can tell, I can point you to, well, first, let me say this. There is a person, and I don't know if they're in the chat right now who comes on our channel somewhat frequently and, and has multiple times recommended two books for us on this issue. And they're a universalist and, and recommends these two books. And the last time I think Pritchett said something like, yeah, I'll put that on the list, but I, I'm not going to get to it anytime soon because there's other stuff I got to do. Yeah. But um, but I think that not the last live stream, but the one before that, this person made those recommendations. So if, if you just go there, maybe you'll find those. But to give you something that I do think is trustworthy, um, uh, um, Steve Gregg, who's a prof- professor here occasionally at Trinity, has a book, All You Want to Know About Hell, and he treats three different approaches. The traditionalist approach, that's eternal conscious torment. The annihilationist conditional immortality. And the evangelical universalist approach. And he is an author that is known for um, making a really good case for positions that he doesn't even agree with. And just to let you know, he thinks eternal conscious torment is the least likely of the three. You wouldn't know that from the book, though. And, yeah, you might not know. From the, so, I, so that would be a good place that he gives all the scripture. And also, if you don't want to invest in the book, which you should, but even if you don't want to invest in the book, on his website at thenarrowpath.com, if you go to the topical lectures, you can listen to, I think there's two audio pieces on hell, and he says everything there pretty much that he says in the book. So um, so maybe that'll be helpful. But thank you for that incredible super chat, and hopefully we'll be giving you some direction there. Um, Braxton is like always, so much talking, but actually saying nothing i'm an expert i guess at that well at least you just said braxton where's my hate see, see that people still don't realize how impervious right, i'm the one you're supposed to hate braxton's sweeter than pecan pie but here i am i am saying everything possible to troll atheists and they still hate you more kevin o'connor ah, i can't win kevin o'connor is right about this it's actually abeka books but yeah the abeka books were so funny every math problem was like if Mr. Jones makes X dollars per year and pays 10% tithe, calculate how much Mr. Jones, Jones gives that to the church true. every year. But those, hey, those Abeka books, they'll teach you, man. Um, someone says, check out Genesis Apologetics. 
I think we've come pretty well to the end of, oh, here's a question from Derek Baylor. I look into I looked into universalism and the exegesis was almost blatantly done with a view towards justifying universalism rather than just letting scripture speak for itself. Um, I'll tell you this, if you stack up all of the scripture references that are used by eternal conscious torment advocates and by conditional uh, immortality people and then the uni the evangelical universalist, the evangelical universalist list is much briefer. I'll, t yeah. I'll tell you that much. Um all right, there are a couple of super chats here I want to get to, and then we might wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Derek Baylor says here, $5 super chat. Is it me or is open theism rising in popularity? And if so, what are your thoughts on it? Okay. It's not just you, and uh, it's, I don't care. I care. Um, I, I, you're my brother if you're an open theist. You're my sister. It's not a heresy. But um, I think, uh, I first of all, here's what I appreciate about it. I appreciate two things. One is if you compare open theists on the one hand and Calvinists on the other, one thing they both agree about is how God can know stuff in a sense. The Calvinist thinks that God knows exhaustively the future because he's determining everything in the future, right? That's how he knows he's going to do it. Um, the open theist thinks that God doesn't know the future exhaustively in the sense that we're talking about um, because that might imply determinism. Right. So they, they're strange bedfellows that way. Yeah. But while the Calvinism uh, is emphasizing God's power and um, their understanding of God's sovereignty, which implies determinism, um, the open theist is, is emphasizing God's love. And, and I appreciate that. What I appreciate about, appreciate about both of those views and about my own view is that they try to take the Bible seriously. And in the open theist tradition, they are trying to take passages in ways that seem to to be the obvious intent of the author when it comes to God had to come down and see what happened on such and such day. It never came into my mind that you would do such a thing. And some of those passages do. I mean, there are pastors that when they preach through Jonah, they've got to think long and hard about how to understand best the notion that God seems to have changed his mind on a particular thing. So I appreciate that about them. However, I will say that um, that I think that those passages are best not understood that way. And I think there's a debate between um, Tyler Vela and someone else on the um, Gospel Truth well, website. Duffy? Was it Duffy? I don't know. I, I like I like him, but I, I think uh, that yeah. that is a good debate. And I, I think that, that the explanation given by Tyler for some of those tough passages was really good. Yeah, so, so. to sum up what Braxton's probably not saying, but... This is what I heard. Okay, be open theist, you're still my brother. But like Calvinism, you just wrong, so be neither. Yes. Oh, you're okay. you're signing off. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I signed. Don't be an I'm open Braxton theist Hunter, and I approve this message. Right. <laughs> Don't be either open theist or Calvinism. They're both wrong. Don't be wrong. You know. Angel WVM says concerning evolution, I think. When some Christians ask a ridiculous question, can a banana become a human? It's like asking, can an acorn become a leaf? Do they not come from the same seed? So I don't like, here's what I really don't like. Bad arguments against evolution. And it, yeah, and I never liked it, even when I when I was really strong preaching hardcore young earth creationism. Um, I, I really don't like it when, peop, when Christians uh, who are presenting themselves as though they do understand what, biological evolution 
is and, meant to and entail. And then they say things like that. And then they say things like that, that that communicate that you don't understand what they're saying. Yeah, saying things like that with a straight face, rather. I mean, they're yeah. not just trying to be facetious. They actually think that that's a legitimate question. Right, right. Yeah, that's bad because that, yeah. That and if they don't think that's not a legitimate question, but they're asking anyway, that's deceptive. Right. And a straw man. Um. So, uh, okay. Did we get to meow, meow, meow? Yeah, we're getting there now. Why? Did you already see what it was? Well, I just saw it. Um, says Perry's the evangelical universalist under name Gregory McDonald. Oh, Gregory McDonald, second edition of Talbot's Inescapable Love of God and Wrighton and Cronin's 2011 God's Final Victory. They let scripture speak. There you go. Okay. Um, and Kevin O'Connor says, I used Abeka books for grades one through eight and I got my BS in chemical engineering. So clearly they work. Okay. That's right. See, that's the point. So remember, remember this moment, folks. When I mean, obviously, Kevin's not going to speak into other people's experience and I'm not either. Well, I might a little bit. But when you see people making an, a, a, an, an emotional, impassioned appeal that Christian schools are ruining people's lives because they didn't learn the secret knowledge of evolution that was <laughs> kept for the sake. I mean, it's just it's just uh, plus it's also not exactly true. I learned about evolution in Christian school. Right. Not not that everyone does. But I did, and my kids understand evolution. And when my kids have asked questions about it, I've explained what I think the evolution yeah, is. Yeah, people who, you know, I mean, do we... Remember... Do we, do we really need to get back into this about... It's him at Meta who wants you to conceal right. <laughs> certain facts until a kid is old yeah. enough. And, and, we want them to know. Yeah, and, and why is it... Do we need to get into statistics about Christian schooling and Christian homeschooling and how well people like Kevin O'Connor do in... You know, after high school compared to other people in terms of grades and all of that, it's not close. You don't want to bring those conversations up because it turns out uh, whatever you got at your public school would have probably failed you. You're probably a lot smarter than you would have been had you gone to public school. True ID says, I'm 90% sure I evolved from a race of alien cyborg superheroes. But I'm willing to be proven wrong on that. <laughs> Yeah, what's your evidence, folks, that he wasn't? Right, there you Can go. Can you prove that negative? Uh-oh. Well, now it's time for Adam and and, uh, and Matt Chisholm to, in, in the gap of the bro-down uh, non-episodes, you guys got to get together and hash that one out because he may believe you. So make your case on, on, on with, Chris, uh, with Matt Chisholm on Bible Bro-Down. This has been awesome, folks. I've had a blast. Have y'all had a blast? Pritchard, have you had a blast? I have a blast every week. And we love every one of you all. And you all are so good to us. Yes. I mean, just for showing up. Even if you're not giving super chats, we, we, we appreciate you so much just for showing up. And our audience has been increasing. So uh, the live stream audience. And so thank you so much for that. But also, for those of you... Let me lower this. For those of you who do give super chats... Um, your sacrifice is just uh, unbelievable. Your generosity is unbelievable. But that comment up there. And I, I hope that despite what you all have said, uh, or what somebody said, you don't view us as yeah. trying to trick you into giving us your money. You stupid Christians yeah. who've been tricked. But thank you for thinking that we're that brilliant. Yeah. Elizabeth Main says, as a former public school teacher, I can confirm that the public school is terrible in like every way. Uh, yeah, for the most part, there are excellent public school teachers out there. Uh, I don't think there are any good teachers unions out there anymore. 
Um, but there are good teachers, but the school system is just doing worse every year. And it's, I think it's beyond repair personally. And with that, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.